Lord God, thank you for your church, not just this church here that gathers in this location, but your church universal. That even right now across Adelaide and in different states of this amazing nation, Australia, there are churches getting together. There is your church, your body, doing what it's called to do. And I pray that today we would come to understand a bit more what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, we had a guy come to share, Mike Bartlett from the Baptist office. Anyone remember? Yep. If you didn't hear his message, I'd encourage you to go on YouTube, onto our, our channel and, and have a listen to it. It's a great message. Uh, he's shared around the story of Nahum, not Naaman, not Nahum, Naaman and Elisha. And the story was Naaman's this um, foreign general of a, an army of a foreign land and he's got leprosy. And he's got a little Jewish girl as a servant in his home who tells him there's a prophet in Israel who could heal him. And so he goes to name, uh, to Elisha and he brings all this booty, I'll call it, all this stuff. And um, he asks the, he, he goes, oh, Elisha doesn't even come out to see him, but he just sends a message, tell him to go dip in the river seven times and he'll be healed. And he gets a bit mad about that. Didn't even come out to say hello, but eventually he he comes to his senses and he dips in the the river three, seven times and he's healed. So he goes back to Elisha and says, oh, "I want to thank you for it. I want to give you all this money and all this stuff." And Elisha rejects him, says, "No, I don't want anything. It's nothing at all." And so eventually he goes back um, to his kingdom. <clears throat> and then Elisha's servant thought, "That's not fair. We deserve something." Like many of us would think, oh, I deserve something. Like we did something good for him. So he chases after this Naaman guy and, and asks and says, oh, my master's changed his mind. Just give me something. And he gets some clothes and some stuff. And Elisha, when he gets back, Elisha knows what he's done. And unfortunately, Gehazi, his servant, reaps the, the judgment of what he's done. Um, because what God gives is free. And we don't get anything in return. Like giving God's gifts is not something that we take for ourselves. And he's judged and he gets leprosy. It's a very sobering story. But Mike brought a couple of things out of that story that really spoke to me about our church. Really spoke to me about what our church is all about. And and how important what we're called to do is. And these two things came became really apparent to me and, I, and they really resonated with me and, and I, they really reminded me of what our church is called to do. Now the first one is that simple idea that because God has given us so much, we should always look at ways we can give to others, no matter who they are. Elisha blessed a foreign general, an enemy, literally an enemy. He He allowed God to use him to heal an enemy. And God's gifts are free to all. And as his church, we have received so much as his people. Even what Bill was sharing around communion today, we have received salvation. We have received redemption. We have received forgiveness. We have received all this. And that we should be willing to give of ourselves, no matter what, to others. 
no matter who they are, no matter what they have done, we're called to follow God's example and give of ourselves, to bless others. We have been blessed so much. And this is really important for us as a church. That's what we really believe in as a church. We as children of God have been blessed so much that we want to bless our community. We want to bless others. We want to reach out beyond our walls to those who are in our community. The second thing that really resonated with me from the story is that we are not in this for our own benefit. Simply, as simple as I can say it, is it's not about what we get out of it, but it's all about glorifying God just as Elisha showed us. It's, we've been blessed so much, God has given us so much, but serving God is not about what we get out of it. It's not about us. It's not about what we get. It's about glorifying God. I read a quote this week from an old theologian called Tom Smales, if we can grab the PowerPoint. And he said, Man's chief end is not to have his soul saved. Think about that for a moment. Man's chief end is not to have his soul saved or his body healed or even his church revived. But it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what God has called us to. It's not about what we get. Yes, we get salvation. How incredible is that? We get relationship with God. Yes, we can receive healing and that's fantastic. Yes, we can have a strong and healthy church that's doing great things. But that's not what it's all about. Our prime purpose, the reason Jesus came to restore us back into relationship with God was not just so we could be saved, not just so that we could have a good life, but he restored us back to God so that we could glorify him with our lives. We need to remember that abundant life is not about having our needs met, but abundant life is all about living in relationship with God. Living in a relationship with God where we rely on him, where we obey him and when we do what he asks us to do. This is exactly how Jesus lived and this is the sobering message from the story of Naaman and Elisha and Gehazi that when Gehazi went to get something for himself that he wanted the blessing of serving God, it actually ended up becoming a judgment for him. Because it's not about us, what we get. It's all about glorifying God and bringing honour and glory to his name. And these two thoughts, this thought of we need to bless because we've been so blessed and we need, it's not about what we get, it's about glorifying God. These two thoughts reminded me of why our church exists, why the, the poor church exists and why I believe the church all over exists. And so I thought today... I'd take a moment to remind us of our church vision and mission. We've had a lot of people add to our church over the last few months and I thought it's a great opportunity to share with us all again, remind those of us who have been around a while, it's good to be reminded, um, but, also, uh, but also for those of you who are new, to let you know 
the foundation on which this church is built. Does that sound good? Who's keen? Yes? Anyone keen? Yes? Oh, good. Someone's keen. I, I actually, this came up this week. Benito was sort of updating something on our social media stuff and he goes, what's this scripture? I've never believed that's a part of our vision. I thought, he needs reminding. So uh, if, if he needs reminding, then probably many of us do. So I'm just going to go through it um, very simply. Get my clicker working. Our vision. Our vision for what we're called to do is to live like Jesus lived. And it comes from the scripture in 1 John 2.6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Those who say they're Christians, those who say they're followers of Jesus should live like Jesus lived. It's as, as simple as that. As Bill was sharing, Jesus came to earth, and I share this a lot, he came to earth to show us what God is like. That he came to show us in the flesh, as Bill was talking about, in human form. Show us what God is like. Before, If you read Colossians, it says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So up until Jesus came, the only, thing, the only way we knew who God was through was through the Bible and through Scripture. And, and so we had this idea of what God is like, but God was invisible to us. But when Jesus came in the flesh, in human form, we're going to celebrate it in five weeks' time. He came as a baby in human flesh, in human form, and he showed us in his actions, in the way he lived his life, what God is like. So I simply say to you, if you want to know what God is like, if you're not sure, it, maybe you have a picture in your mind, you're brought up in such a way that God is this mean old man that wants to punish you at every wrong step you take, or he's like, I don't know what sort of ideas you've got about God, but that's how I was brought up. But then when as, as I read about Jesus in the Gospels, as I read his life and his teachings, I discovered something very different to what I was taught. I discovered a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of kindness, a God who was willing to put his life on the line for me. A God who was willing to give his life so I could have forgiveness and wholeness of life, have relationship with God. This is the kind of God we serve. The God who doesn't, who chooses not to punish us, but rather take our punishment upon himself so that we can have life, so that we can have relationship with God. This is the God we serve. And so... Jesus shows us that, that this is what God is like. But here's the incredible thing. As his church, as the body of Christ, that is now our responsibility to show the world. Think about that for a moment. That's pretty sobering. We as children of God, as followers of Jesus, it says that we become a part of his body. And as his body, that picture is that we are now the way the world will know who God is. Now that's a challenge. That's a cha Are we a true reflection of the God that Jesus represents? If we, are, if they, if we say we live in God, we should live our lives as Jesus lived.
And that's our challenge for us as a church. That's, what we, that's the foundation we build our, this Port Church on, is this idea that we're called to be Jesus to the world around us. And we do this simply through our mission, which you can read up there, and you can see it out in the foyer, where we say we are a church, we're loving God, loving each other, and loving the community we live in counts for everything. This is how we do it. This is how we live like Jesus lived. This was Jesus' example to us when he was here on earth. He loved the Father with everything he had. It says, he said himself, I only do what I see the Father doing. This is the, the simple truth. And then, and then he loved the disciples that the Father gave him. He loved them with all his life and with everything. And, and they walked with him and he showed them his love in 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 truth and reality and he taught them but at the same time he also loved the community that the father had planted him in isn't that right he went the bible says he went around he went all over uh, Israel doing good healing the sick preaching good news he went everywhere doing good not so he didn't just it wasn't just him and God it wasn't just him and his disciples, it was him also in the world he lived in. And that's the example for us. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, we need to love God with everything we have. Pursue God with everything we have. Seek after him. We need to love each other in the body of Christ, in the, the church he's planted us in. We need to support and love each other like Jesus loved his disciples. We need to be there for one another. But also, we need to love the community we are planted in. We need to love them with everything we have. And this is what God has called us to. And when we pursue God with everything we have, we allow our relationship with God to flow out into all our relationships. Not just our relationships with each other, but also our relationships with our community. And it's really interesting if we think about that, how do we do that? How do we, how do we take on this attitude of love, this, this way that Jesus lived? How can we do it? The Bible is really clear that in our relationships and in our, our relationships with one another, it describes to us in Philippians 2, it describes to us that we need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. So if we're going to love God, love each other and love our community, if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we need, it makes sense that we need to take on the attitudes of Christ. Another way that's described is the mindset of Christ, the way Jesus thinks, the way Jesus does things. So we're going to have a quick look at Philippians 2 and uh, what it says there. And from that, I'll share with you some of our church values or our church attitudes, the, I guess the why behind what we do why we do it and what we're trying to do and it says straight here in Philippians it says in your relationships with one another now I'm taking that not just not just our relationships here but also um, our relationships in our world as well in our community everywhere we have have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what are these, this mindset of Christ? What, is, what are the things that define his attitudes and his mindset? Let me share with you. Because these attitudes are what underpin everything we do as a church. So if you want to know what the poor church is about, then these are our church attitudes. The first one is servanthood. It says in that passage in Philippians, he, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant we as a church are called to serve jesus said it this way in in matthew 20 when these disciples were arguing and bickering about who's going to be the greatest who's going to be the best and jesus said that's not how it should be amongst you my followers you're not going to be like the world you're not going to be like the rulers of this world who lord it over everyone else who try to be leaders so that they can have control and authority no, in my kingdom, the one who serves will be the greatest. And he says those powerful words, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. To lay his life down as a ransom for others. And this is our mantra as a church, that we are called to serve. Servanthood is what our attitude should be. So when we run pop-up on Wednesday night, we do it to serve our community. We don't determine who should come in this door and who shouldn't. We allow, open the doors wide and allow anyone to come in. And our heart and our aim is to serve them and let them know how valuable they really are. Because our world has a great way of reminding them how non-valuable they are. Isn't that right? And so this is what we is our attitude as a church. The second thing is humility. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself to become human. He, he gave up, it says the Bible, this passage, if you read it about um, empty, he made himself no, nothing. It, it, the idea is that he emptied himself of his divinity and became human. So when he walked this earth, he was like you and I. He was, Bill said, he... he suffered like you and I he was tempted like you and I he knows exactly everything we go through because he went through it this is the great thing and that that's such an expression of humility that he would he would humble himself and, and make himself nothing humility for me is that simple idea is we we're down to earth we're grounded because the, the idea of the word humility comes from the word hummus in the latin which means earth which is basically you know where you come from. That without God's breath in our body, we are just dust. We are just earth. So it's that idea that I just come to God with the little bit that I have and I put it in his hands and trust him. So everything we do, the reason we do the things we do is because we know there go I but for the grace of God. I've been there, done that. And... and I know how bad I was or how lacking I was and that God has filled that void. And, I, and may we never forget that. May we never get too big for our boots that we don't remember where we've come from. Amen.
The third thing is generosity. Our church attitude is one of generosity. Jesus, he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He gave his divinity over so he could become one of us. He gave everything of himself. He didn't hold anything back. He was generous in his gift. Yes, how incredible is that? And in, as we've said, this is that idea that we've been blessed so much that we should bless others. We should be generous with what we have. You know, we shared about Monato, which was amazing, an incredible day. But, you know, as a church, we paid for a bus to go up there and people only had to pay to get into Monato. But, and you'll hear us say often, if we do something and it's charged, let us know if you can't afford it because we'll make sure you can be there because it's not about the money. It's about the experience and, the, and to be a part of community is what counts. And so as a church, we are, are, are compelled to be generous because our God is generous. We have to have a generous attitude in everything we do. Now, let me say this. We do not preach generosity in that mindset that you might hear in a lot of churches. Give so that you will be blessed. Let me say this. We don't give so that we will be blessed. We give because we are blessed. You get that? God would not have to give me anything else than what he's given me to this day. He doesn't need, he does not owe me anything more. And I give because of what he has done for me, not because what he might do for me, that if you give 10 times as much, you're going to get 10 times back. I, I could say it in a not so nice way, but it's not true. <laughs> do, you, do you get it? We give because... We are blessed. We don't give to get blessed. This is the truth and this is the attitude that we stand in. The next thing is integrity and character. We do everything with integrity and character as much as we can because we make mistakes. Trust me, we are not a perfect church. We don't always get it right. But Jesus said in that verse, it says, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. We do not use what God has given us for our own benefit. We use it to bless and benefit others. Does that make sense? That's character and integrity. We don't do the things that we do so we can make a big name for ourselves. You know, if no one ever discovers what we're doing, whether it's Fearless Youth on a Friday night or Pop-Up Kitchen on a Wednesday night or all the different things that we do as a church. If, if no one, like giving hampers to the school, families in the school that are disadvantaged and all these different things, if we never make it in the papers or we never get discovered, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Because we don't do it for those reasons. We don't do it for our own advantage. We do it because we're called to do it by God. Does that make sense? So this, this whole thing is not so Ben will get a big name as a pastor in the city and in the, the nation and whatever and I'll get invites all over the, the nation to preach. That's not what, it's not for my advantage. I, don't, I pray that none of that stuff ever happens because what I'm called to is to serve and love this community. 
to this church is our family and our body and this is my lifetime call to the end of the day. And that's, this is the integrity and character that God has called us to. That we will not do things to our own advantage to get what we need. We'll do it to glorify God. The last thing, probably one of the most, or the most important, is obedience. Because at the end of the day, we can say all this stuff. We can speak it. We're going to be servants. We're going to be humble. We're going to be generous. We're going to have integrity and character. But until we actually do it, it means nothing. Isn't that right? You actually have to put it into practice. Obedience, it says in that, that passage that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. How, the simple way that you can be humble and humble yourself is to just do what God asks you to do. No questions asked. So when you get those promptings to, to love your wife and do something nice for her, obey those promptings. When you get those little promptings to love your neighbour and bake him a cake or do something nice for him, obey those promptings because they're from God. They're, that's God speaking to you and, and, and just humbling yourself to do what God asks you to do no matter what. I, I um, had a really humbling experience just yesterday. I was at um, the assembly for Baptist churches and, and a little while ago I got to speak at a at the, the state um, conference and one of the pastors came up to me and shared um, what God had spoken to him at that conference and how uh, after I'd shared, he, I shared about the boy who gave five barley loaves and two fish and Jesus fed 5,000 people. And I reminded people that those barley loaves are poor man's food. They're, they're poor, they're what poor people ate. So they weren't of much value or worth. And he, he sort of got the God speak to him that's, that he felt like, I feel like those barley loaves. And, um, and, and he said, well, God, I might be just barley loaves, but I give, and he, this guy's been a pastor for years, like literally he could be my dad. And um, so that's old. But, um, <laughs> but he... He said, you know, after you shared about the barley loaves, I just said, I feel like barley loaves, but I give those barley, I put them in your hands to do with what you want. And literally 10 minutes later, he was ministering to a, a young mum who has early onset Alzheimer's. And in that moment, God spoke to him, you said you'd do whatever I'd ask. I want you to minister to her. And just as I heard those words, it's, it's just like, so humbling to hear it but the, just that very fact that this is he was just being obedient to what God had asked him to do and God led him to where he needed to be and these are the the attitudes of of our church these are what underpin everything we do another way we've described it over the years is that we would be a spirit-filled church a spirit-filled and community-driven church and what that basically means is what I, I believe is you can't have a relationship with God. You can't be filled with God's spirit without the presence of community. You can't do it alone. When God created Adam, he made it very clear that it's not good for man to be alone. And that Adam had God and it still wasn't good. So he created Eve 
and in community together, it was good. And this is the idea is that, that a spirit-filled, community-driven church is one that lives for relationships, not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other and our community, as I've said over and over again. But we, I'll just say this, you can't have a healthy relationship with God without it involving community, without it involving others. You can give it a shot, but I guarantee you it's not going to be fruitful in the long term. It's really interesting that our church has been going for about 12 years, uh, the Port Church for about 12 years, Lefevre Baptist long before that. But uh, in that 12 years that we've been working as the Port Church, you know, a lot of stuff's happened. There's been some good times, there's been some bad. We're, it's really blessed at the moment with what God is doing. But um, in those 12 years, there's been some defining moments. And, uh, and I want to share with you one of those defining moments. Now, some of you have probably heard this story numbers of times because I tell it a lot. But it really defines what we're about as a church and why we do what we're doing as a church. Um, you know, our first convert in our church, the first person to uh, become a Christian that wasn't a Christian before, uh, was someone who never attended this church. They never actually attended a church service with us um, as a Christian. Uh, they didn't make a decision here in the church. His name was, he was a, a guy by the name of Pete Hattie. And his wife attended our church. She was one of the founding members and uh, Fiona and uh, Pete was a great guy but he would have called himself an atheist he often said that I don't believe in God I, like, after I got to know him a bit I sort of probably describe him more as an agnostic but but um, he, he was just a lovely guy just a, a great guy but he was not interested in God at all just just lo- happy to, for Fiona go to go off to church and do her thing uh, and you know sometimes he would even help us He'd come along to a, a church event and cook a barbie or, or, you know, clean up someone's yard or do something. He's he'd just one of those nice guys, but just not interested in God. Every time you'd broach the subject, he'd go, not, not interested. And then uh, in about 2012, I, I got a, a phone call from Fiona and she, she said, oh, um, Pete's been diagnosed with lung cancer. And they've given him three months to live. And um, so as a church, you know, we began to pray for him, pray for, for his situation, pray for healing, pray that God would come and intervene in his life. And, you know, they'd been around the traps and they'd lived in Tassie for a while. So Fiona attended a church there and there was a church there praying as well for him. And uh, after about a month or two of him being diagnosed with or it's probably a couple months after being diagnosed I got a call from Fiona and she said uh, Pete wants to talk to you he, he, he needs to talk to you and so I, I rushed around there to catch up with him and and he was there and he was not in a good way and I said what's going on Pete and he goes I've just been up all night and and the thing going over and over in my head is what happens if I don't spend eternity with Fiona? What's going to happen? How? He goes, and he looked at me and he said, I want to know, can you tell me, like, 
guarantee me, show me a way that I know that I will spend eternity with Fiona. And I'm like, whoa. Well, this is, and I, and I began to talk to him about salvation. I began to talk to him about Jesus and I began to talk to him about putting his trust in Jesus and, and believing that Jesus is God and, and, uh, and confessing it and, and all of these things and how to become a Christian. I had the opportunity to share with him. And we're, we're talking and he's asking questions and we're talking and, and we got to that point and I said, Pete, do you want to ask Jesus into your life? Do you want to become a Christian? Do you want to put your trust in him? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I do. And at that moment, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, tell him, tell him to pray for that. And now normally I would lead someone through a prayer. I'd say, you know, well, let's pray together and I'll lead you and you, you repeat after me. But I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, well, Pete, why don't you ask God? And, you know, so we bowed our heads and, and we closed our eyes. And Pete said the most incredible prayer. And he started with this. And I remember it as clear as day. But he said, God, I'm sorry for not including you in my life. That's what he said. I didn't teach him to pray that. I didn't give him a list of what he should pray. He said, God, I'm sorry for not including you in my life. And I put my life in your hands and I trust you with whatever the future holds. And you know, in that room, it's just like God was in the room. And, it's, and we lifted our heads and Fiona and I were bawling. And Pete's looking at us and he's going, are you okay? And I said, do you, f- do, you feel, do, you feel that? do you feel that, Pete? And he goes, it just feels like a ton of bricks has just lifted off my shoulders. Just, it's just like, it's just all gone. And, it's, it's, and from that moment, you know, he's, I said, do you have a Bible? He's, and he had a, a kid's Bible that they were fostering a kid at the time. And, and, and I said, well, start with that. Start reading the Gospels. And, and so over the next few weeks, you know, his faith began to grow. I remember him ringing me. And Pete never ring, never would ring me. <laughs> like, He's just not that sort of guy. But he rings me and said, I, I was just reading the Bible and I was reading about forgiveness and how that God can't forgive us if we don't forgive others. So I got on the phone to my sister and he'd been estranged from his sister for many years and I, I just asked for her forgiveness. And it's just, he read the Bible, he, he saw it and he just did what it said. And, and I said, how's that feel? He goes, oh, it feels fantastic. We just talked for ages and I just wanted to ring you to tell you because I just feel so good about it. A few weeks later, um, Pete was in hospital. His cancer was getting worse. And I got a call from Fiona again. And this is, this is where it impacted our church the most. Is I got a call and she said, oh, you've got to come in. Pete wants to talk to you. And I, so I went into the hospital and... I said, what's up? He goes, I was, I was sleeping last night, as you do, and, um, and I had a dream. And I said, oh, what, what was your dream? And he goes, I had a dream, and I saw you standing under this massive lemon-scented gum tree. And, uh, and under it, there were benches everywhere, and there were people just walking in, listening to what you had to say. And I was there helping you in whatever way I could, just getting the chairs out and, and just being around supporting. 
And I just saw this picture of what your church is called to be, what the church you're planting is called to be. And he he literally said the words, there were no walls in this church, but people could just walk in and then they'd sit under that tree and they would be sheltered and protected and they, they they were finding God and they were just leaving the place feeling better and healed and 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 whole and just that vision and he said (laughs) the amazing thing he said and I woke up feeling no pain no no nothing and it's it's just I just knew it was from God and and that vision that he had now like I said to you he hadn't been in our church he hadn't after he became a Christian he his health went downhill pretty quick and so he never tended on a Sunday he didn't hear our church vision or any of that but what he saw was exactly what God had called us to to be a church without walls to be a church that like that lemon scented gum tree which by the way there's this massive gum tree out there it just happens to be out there but that that people could find shelter under they could find protection, they could find safety, and they could even find healing and wholeness and find God under that tree. And that's, that's what we've called to as a church, to be this church without walls. There's no barriers where we practice all these attitudes of servanthood, humility, generosity, integrity, obedience, where we love each other and love God and, and allow that to flow out from us because that's what it's all about. And if I was to sum it up in a scripture, what this church looks like, I'd use James 2, 14, um, where it says, well, what I, I feel like this really sums up. It's, not, it's sort of a paraphrase that I've put together, but that whole passage. But um, it sums up what we're about and why we do what we do, the heart behind of what everything we do but it says what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them go in peace keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs what good is it in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith is more than just words. It's more than just a belief structure. It's more than just a nice vision statement, a mission statement, and all of that stuff. Someone once said, I read this on a church billboard once, our actions reflect our belief. So in other words, real faith is seen in how we live life real faith is seen in how we live our lives we can talk about it as much as we like but people want action and if we really believe that God has called us to do this then we need to put it into practice our actions are the fruit of our faith in God In other words, our actions and the things we do are not done to get God's attention. We don't do them to get God's attention. We already have his attention. He saw us before we saw him long ago. But our actions are the 
result of having a relationship with God. This is what it talks about in, in John 15, that we are the branch and he, or he, he is the vine and we are the branches. And as we abide in him, as we relate to him, we will produce fruit. Galatians 5 tells us what that fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, all these things. So the fruit of our relationship with him is these actions. It starts with relationship. And I'll finish with this thought as we conclude this whole presentation of our vision and mission and all of what this church exists for is that our actions are the fruit of our relationship with him. Our actions are not trying to get right with God and do the right thing by God. No, our actions are the result of us having a relationship with him. And that's what counts the most. That's why we can say that we can bless others because we're so blessed. That's why we can say we're not in this for our own needs, we're in it for others. And it's not about what we get, it's about glorifying God. Because when we have a relationship with God, the fruit of that relationship is what we see, is our life lived out for God. Why don't we bow our heads in prayer? I say this, share all of this today to really encourage you guys. I don't say it to be condemning or judgmental, but just a reminder that it's our relationship with God, it's what Jesus has done for us that enables us to live for God, to live a good life for God to live a life of love and, and peace and patience and kindness and self-control, all those things. But it starts because of what Jesus has done for us. And I want to just invite us all today to, a bit like Pete did, to say, God, I make a fresh commitment to living for you, to allowing you to flow through me Maybe for some of us, we haven't been paying a lot of attention to our relationship with God and we need to do that and say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't been as attentive as I should have been. And I come back to you and just say, God, I put my life in your hands afresh. I give it to you that you might do what you want to do with it. So I want us to take a moment and I ask you to just write wherever you are. You pray what you need to pray. I'm not going to force you or, or coerce you into praying something you don't want to pray. But if you feel like you want to just make a fresh commitment to your relationship with God and that that would flow into your relationship with others, just take this opportunity now to do that with God right now. Just make that commitment that you need to. Lord God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every person here that represents this church, this community. I pray that as we're reminded of what you've called us to do, that you would help us to do that. That as we press into you, the fruit would be 
obvious. The fruit would be automatic. Just like an orange tree produces oranges, that a, a Jesus tree would produce Jesus. Help us do that, God. Help us produce Jesus to this community around us. Help us to produce Jesus to each other in the way we have relationship with each other. Help us live in a way that glorifies you. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.